Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part three of his teaching, Signs. All right, praise the Lord. This morning, we're going to continue our series on signs, and this will be part three. I encourage you, if you've missed part one and two, go back to the podcast online and listen to them in sequence so you can get the most out of the series. You know, we've been talking about how there are natural signs that we're all familiar with that are all around us in our everyday lives, but the signs we've really been concentrating on in this series are supernatural signs performed by Jesus himself in his earthly ministry. Signs that make it clear that he was and is more than just an ordinary man and was sent by God to planet earth to save us all from death and destruction. Amen. He was the Christ. He was the anointed one. He was and is the son of God. Amen. And even though the other three gospels record more signs, wonders, and miracles than John did, Jesus performed seven that caught the eye of the Apostle John. Theologians and teachers call them the seven signs of the book of John. So evidently the Holy Spirit inspired him to highlight these seven, the top seven, if you will, that demonstrated to the world that without a doubt, Jesus was sent to them by God that he was 100% man, and he was 100% God. Amen. And you find these seven signs of the book of John between John chapter 2 and John chapter 11. And I want you to listen to what John says about the limited number of signs that he includes in his gospel. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the seven that he picked, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. John makes it clear that the seven signs he does write about in his gospel, along with the greatest sign of all, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, they are definitive, he says. They make it absolutely clear without a doubt that Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the Son of God. And you can have life in him. And all you got to do is believe. So once again, in a nutshell, we find in this scripture the purpose of supernatural signs. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may have life in his name. Isn't that what it's all about? So here are the seven signs of the book of John in the order in which they appear in your Bible which we've been using as an outline in this series. Number one, changing water into wine in John chapter 2. Number two, healing the nobleman's son, John chapter 4. Number three, healing the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. 
feeding the 5,000, number four in John chapter 6. Number five, walking on water, John chapter 6 as well. Number six, healing a man born blind. And number seven, raising Lazarus from the dead, John chapter 11. And healing a man born blind is found in John chapter 9. So last week we covered number three, healing the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. And number four, feeding the 5,000. And we found out through these signs that Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is our healer. He is our great provider. Amen. This week, we're going to cover number five, walking on water. Initially, I wanted to cover number five and number six, but number six has just got too much good stuff in it that I can't cover in the time that I have today. So we're going to concentrate on number five, walking on water, which is pretty cool stuff. And just to let you know, it looks like it's going to take us a couple more sessions for us to finish up the series. But I'm not in a hurry. Amen? We want to glean as much as we can out of this teaching, out of these seven signs. Now, I want to remind you that as we go through the rest of these signs, which point people to Jesus, there are other signs that we find embedded in the passages of Scripture themselves that are also signs. I call them signs within the signs. Amen. So here we go with walking on water. It may not take that long this morning, but it's got a punch to it. So uh, buckle your seat belts and hang on. Number five, walking on water. John chapter 6, verse 15 through 26 in the New King James Version. John chapter 6, starting at verse 15, we'll read through Verse 26, and what I'll do is I'll read and then explain and read and then explain and, and so on and so forth until we get through the whole passage. And then we talk about the signs that point to Jesus as the Son of God. Amen. So John 6, starting at verse 15, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, if you read Matthew's account of the feeding of the 5,000, you find out that Jesus saw the multitude coming up the mountain looking for him. And he was moved with compassion because there were so many sick people among them. So the first thing he did is he healed all the sick which must have taken a while, and then fed all 5,000 plus the women and children with five loaves and two fish. So they had seen the signs, the healings, the multiplications of the loaves and fishes, the miracles, and they were convinced by that that He was the one sent to them by God. So you can see why they were eager to crown Him as Messiah as their promised King. But Jesus knew it wasn't the right time for that. He knew that His first coming would be as a suffering lamb, amen, to pay the price for the sin of all mankind. He knew His second coming would be as a conquering king. But they didn't know that, and He didn't have time to explain it to them, amen. So He sneaked out to another place on the mountain where He couldn't be found. Let's continue reading 
verse 16. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. Matthew says they thought they saw a ghost. Ah! Verse 20 says, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Verse 21, then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. We're going to talk about that, but we got, we got to get there gradually. You know, I got to stop there because it's one of the coolest things you'll ever find in the entire Bible. Let me break it down for you. Now, we know from Matthew's account that Jesus sent the disciples down the mountain and told them to go to the other side without him in the boat. Then he breaks away from the crowd and he finds a place on the mountain to pray. After a while, he looks out over the lake, but it's dark and it's impossible for him to see the ship. Think about it. If the boat is four miles out into the lake and you're on a mountain, even Jesus is not going to see with his natural eyes that far in the dark. So he must have seen them in the spirit. And then he locates their position because he proceeds to do some pretty supernatural things. Amen. Realizing that they're fighting a headwind and not getting very far with their rowing, I imagine he walked down the mountain, he hit the lake, and he just kept walking. Amen. And somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, he catches up with the disciples in the boat. And we know that from Matthew's account, which says it was in the fourth watch of the night. At first, as I said, they think he's a ghost, but then they realize it's Jesus. And he's walking on the water. Imagine that. Now, let's just talk about that for a while. How did he do that? Maybe he suspended the law of gravity and just sort of floated over the top of the water. Perhaps he changed the density of the water at the surface to form a path that he could walk on. Even then, I wonder, how would that work? Would the road go up and down with the waves, or did he just cut a path through the waves? There's all kind of things I want to know the answer to. And one day, I'll ask Jesus, how did you do that? But beyond the question of how, I think the more interesting question is, why did he walk on the water? He could have done a number of different things. Well, I think the main reason he was walking on the water was to demonstrate to the disciples that he was not fighting the wind and waves like they were. He was walking on top of the wind and waves. They were struggling under the circumstances, but he was walking on top of the circumstances. Amen. I asked somebody, this has been decades ago, I asked them, how are you doing today? And they said to me, I'm doing pretty good under the circumstances. And I said, 
what in the world are you doing under there? And he looked at me like I was crazy. He was a fellow flyer back when I was flying for the Air Force Reserve. He didn't get it. But you see, Jesus gets it because he was the ultimate overcomer. John 16, 33, Jesus said, you know, you'll have trouble in the world, but I'm giving you my peace because I have overcome the world. This was even before he went to the cross. This was before he was raised from the dead. He's already talking victory. He's already saying, I know what's coming and I'm an overcomer. I'm headed to my death, but I will be raised from the dead. I am an overcomer, and if Jesus lives in you, then you too are an overcomer, amen. And you need to start thinking like an overcomer and walking on your circumstances instead of laboring underneath them. you got to get that third heaven perspective and look down on your problems underneath your feet instead of seeing yourself laboring with your problems weighing heavy on your shoulders. It's a difference of perspective, but it is vital that you make that paradigm shift. You are an overcomer. You need to start acting like it. Amen. Listen, next time you're feeling overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, you know, get somewhere where you can vent and let her rip tater chip. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. I am more than a conqueror through Him that loved me, Romans 8.37. If God be for me, who in the world can be against me, Romans 8.31. I am an overcomer because greater is He that lives in me than he that is in the world, 1 John 4.4. Thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 2.14. Amen. Do that a couple times a day and it'll be a shot in the arm and it won't be the jab. That's as political as I'm going to get, folks. i got to draw the line there. So let me reread verse 21 because it is such a mind blower. Amen. Then they willingly received Him into the boat And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. I'm going to read it again. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So what is it saying? Basically, it's saying as soon as Jesus got into the boat, they were instantly transported from the middle of the lake three and a half miles to the opposite shore at Capernaum in the blink of an eye. Jesus, the disciples, and the fishing boat, and any fish that were in the boat, they all got transported supernaturally in the blink of an eye, three and a half miles to the opposite shore. Now, I don't know how He was able to do that, but I can tell you this, it was supernatural. He did it supernaturally, and He did it Listen to me, as a man. I say that because although Jesus was 100% man and 100% God, the Bible makes it clear that He limited Himself on the earth. Over in Philippians chapter 2, He humbled Himself and came to the earth in the form of a servant. 
in the form of a man. He set aside all his royal attributes and his power. And he operated as a man on the earth filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Number one reason he came as a man was because he had to be the perfect sacrifice and he had to be a man to be the perfect sacrifice for all of mankind. Number two reason he came was to set the example of what a spirit-filled man or woman could do if they were totally dedicated to the will of God for their life. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Even so, even though he was a man, as we've seen in some of the other signs we've already covered, Jesus demonstrates to the disciples that he is the Lord of space and time, and he is the Lord of creation. Amen. The distance to the shore was no obstacle to him. The wind and the waves were no obstacle to him. The time it would take to get there to the other shore was no obstacle to him And here's the crazy sounding part. Are you ready for this? Jesus said in John 14, 12, and 13 that we would do greater works than He did if we did them in His name representing Him. You are filled with and anointed with the same Holy Spirit Jesus was filled with and anointed with. You have the same authority Jesus had, not one degree less, but the same authority. Therefore, hear me out, if you were ever called upon to do a miracle of this magnitude, to move a ship, a car, a plane from one place to another, you could do it because the Lord of space and time and the Lord of creation lives in you. Just letting that hang in the air. I mean, how else do you define greater works than Jesus did? You know, as a body, greater in magnitude, obviously, but also, I believe, greater in degree. And Jesus' feelings are not hurt if we raise more people from the dead than he did. He gave you the power. He gave you the authority. I met a man at a minister's conference back in the mid-90s and Got to know him a little bit and his story. And his name was Brother James. He was an Indian man. I mean, continent of India, Indian man. And he was an overseer of a thousand churches in India. And he had personally raised 25 people from the dead. Personally. In this day and age. I mean, that was, what, 25 years ago. But that's pretty modern compared to Jesus raising three people from the dead. And again, I say, I don't think that Jesus' feelings were hurt when that happened. Because he said, you will do greater works than I did if you'll go forth in my name. If you'll do that, representing me, he says, I will back you. He says, whatsoever you ask, require, or demand in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In other words, if you go out there representing Jesus in His name, doing signs, wonders, and miracles, Jesus said, I will back you. All right, so this sign of teleportation clearly made an impression on the Apostle John because he doesn't even mention the part of the story where Peter walks on the water to meet Jesus. He just leaves that out. 
He's so blown away by the fact that the boat moved three and a half miles instantaneously. He's thinking, man, that was amazing when Peter walked out on the water to meet Jesus, but this whole ship moved three and a half miles in some way I do not understand. And it made an impression on the Apostle John, and it made his top seven signs in the seven signs of the book of John. Amen. Hallelujah. So, if Jesus then, listening to everything I've said up to this point, if Jesus wasn't sent to us by God, there is no way He could have done the things that He did while He was on the earth. These signs point to Jesus as the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God, the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Amen. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 2, Nicodemus who was a Pharisee and a closet follower of Jesus, came to Jesus by night, and he said, We know you're a teacher sent by God, for no man could do the things that you do if God wasn't with him. So let's keep reading in verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, They also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, it's a little bit hard to follow in these verses, but basically what happened was this. The crowd that they left behind realized that the only boat that had left to go to Capernaum had left and Jesus wasn't on it. So they took other boats to the other side of the lake to Capernaum to see if they could figure out where Jesus was. Verse 25, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? I'm going to read it again because this is, again, another mind blower. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? I believe what they really meant was, when did you get here and how did you get here so quickly without a boat? Boy, was that a loaded question. Little did they know. Well, I walked down the mountain. Then I hit the water in stride and walked on top of the water for about three and a half miles, caught up with my disciples in the boat. I got in the boat, and then I transported the boat in a blink of an eye from the middle of the lake to Capernaum. To which they would have said, huh? Verse 26. And this is actually a kind of a sad commentary given the signs and wonders that these people had already seen. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Jesus is saddened here, and he tells the people who had seen so many signs that they were more interested in filling their belly than asking Him what these signs actually meant or what they said about Him. They were more interested in pursuing natural bread 
than they were in pursuing the bread of heaven. And if you keep reading in the chapter, Jesus teaches them about how he is the bread sent by God. He is the bread of heaven. Something else I want to bring your attention to and we'll wrap it up. I'll read it again. Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. That word signs there is the old familiar word we've been uh, talking about that keeps popping up in this series. It is the Greek word semion, which means signs, wonders, and miracles with the emphasis on the signs. And if you remember, the signs point to the wonder worker, to the miracle worker, to the one that was sent to you by God. And I'm going to cap it off by saying this, and that applies to you and me if we're out there ministering in the name of Jesus, representing him. The signs, wonders, and miracles we do in Jesus' name point to the wonder worker and the miracle worker that lives inside of us. Amen. Mark 16, 20 says that as the disciples went out ministering in his name, Jesus went with them to confirm the word that they preach with signs and wonders following. Amen. So if you go out there representing Jesus, laying hands on the sick, even casting out devils, doing things like that. Amen. God will back you to confirm the word that Jesus put in your heart and to let them know that you were sent to them by God. Amen. So never again use the argument, what if I lay hands on the sick and nothing happens? Jesus said in Mark uh, 16, verse 18, I believe it is, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's an imperative. They shall recover. So why worry about what if nothing happens? Because your part is the laying on of the hands. Amen. And having faith that Jesus is going to back you. Jesus is the one who does the healing. I mean, it's been 25 years ago, but the Lord posed that statement to me. He said, I said to him, Lord, what if I lay hands on the sick and, and nothing happens? And he said it like this. It's not on you to make anything happen. It's on me. You do your part, I'll do mine. And ever since he said that, that's the way I minister to the sick. I start out by faith, laying hands by faith on the people. And if a gift of the Spirit manifests, great. If the anointing manifests, great. But I start out according to Mark 16, 18. I'm going to lay hands on the sick, and they're going to recover. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I think that's about enough for today. We'll pick it up next time with sign number six, healing a man born blind. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part three of Dr. Forrest's message, Signs. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website 
at GoFaithLife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.